You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good evening, everybody. So glad you're here this evening and that we get to look at God's word together, as I'm always so excited to do, and so excited to finish out this, what is now four parts of the biblical characteristics of a biblical church. And so if you can, please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, And we will look at verse 18 as we launch into the last two characteristics of a biblical church and then discuss being connected to the biblical church. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first time that Jesus mentions the church, the second time being church discipline, which we talked about this morning. And what Jesus is saying here is there's a play on words here. He's speaking of Peter, which means little stone. And that's what his name means. Remember in John, you can remember when Peter, uh, 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 Jesus named Peter. And then what we see is that Jesus then uses a different word for rock, which is referring to himself, which means more like a boulder. On himself, He will build the church. Peter cannot do this work on his own, nor can the other apostles, although in some senses of the word, the church is built on the foundations of who? The apostles, right? But this church will be built on the foundation of who? Jesus Christ, the rock, the boulder, the firm foundation, as we sang tonight, the sturdy foundation that the church is built on is Jesus Christ. He says, I will build my church. Whose church is it? Christ's. He says, I will build my church. As we talked on this morning, we talked about this morning that the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And then he says this, that the gates of hell shall not, what? Prevail against it. The idea here is the gates of Hades, the place of torment for those who have died in unbelief. And the gates to be let into Hades requires, other than unbelief, one thing, and that is death. The way you get into Hades is death. That's, the, that's what um, 
sets up the, the gates, so to speak, of Hades. You must be dead to enter there, and you die in unbelief. And what Jesus is alluding to here is that death itself will not prevail against my church, the believers in Christ. Death has no more what? Victory or sting. And so this is the idea here. This is the picture of God's church and what a beautiful picture it is. Now, we've talked about six characteristics, biblical characteristics of a biblical church. I've previewed those to you, and we're making our way through those six, and we have two left. And then we will talk about being connected to the church. And so let's move into number five, which is the responsibility of gospel proclamation. Number five, after discussing the supremacy of God, the church, true church must be committed to the authority of Scripture. The true church must be committed to the priority of holiness. The true church must be committed to qualified eldership and qualified membership. The true church also then must be committed to the responsibility of gospel proclamation. And this is easy for us to understand. Here's what we understand. Is it that it is the church's job for gospel proclamation? There is no one else in the world who can do this. There is no one else in the world who can do this job of gospel proclamation. Why? Because the church is made up of believers who possess this truth, which is the gospel. And they are the only ones in the world who possess this truth. The church, are the, the church is the only place, the only people in the world that have experienced the saving work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a business can't do this. A, a company can't do this. An advising uh, uh, organization cannot help us with this. The church is the only place who have, that have come to understand. It's a group of people who have come to understand the truth of the gospel, they have received this gospel, they have been changed by this gospel, they understand the depths of this gospel because they're understanding deeper doctrine about the gospel as they grow in Christ, and therefore, listen now, they are the only ones who can proclaim the saving gospel to the world. It's not that hard to figure out, it's pretty logical, pretty easy to understand, right? Only the church can proclaim the gospel because it's the only one that has the gospel. They are the only ones who have the gospel. So the ones who have been saved by the message and have grown deeper in their understanding of the message, people coming to a knowledge of the truth in the word, and therefore they are sharing that gospel with the world. This must be the characteristic of a biblical church because true believers understand that all men apart from Christ are what? Lost. True believers are the ones who understand that the penalty for that sin is death. True believers are the ones who know that only the message of Christ can save 
a sinner. And the true believers are the ones who understand that someone has to hear that message in order to believe it. And true believers are the ones then who understand that in order for someone to hear it, it needs to be proclaimed. And then they understand that in order for it to be believed, it has to be the work of God. And then they're the ones who understand that in order to show that there has been true repentance and faith, that there has to be fruit in the life of someone who's believed. So listen now, this is the church's job and therefore a true biblical church is committed to the proclamation of the gospel. Listen, this happens from the pulpit and this happens in the life in the lives of the believers. They are equipped to go into all the world, as Mark 16 says. They are equipped to make disciples, as Matthew 28 says. And they are committed to not only going, not only to making disciples, but to then baptizing, meaning facilitating people becoming part of the church, and then teaching. And listen now, there's a couple aspects of this. The gospel, we understand, first of all, must be explicit. No one is saved without an explicit gospel. Some people say, share the gospel all the time, and when necessary, use words. That is completely unbiblical. The the gospel necessitates words because people have to come to a knowledge of the truth. The gospel must not only be explicit, but it also must be accurate. So your Goal is to become accurate and clear. That's your only goal. Not, there's, there doesn't, you don't need to work on a ton of other tactic. Just accuracy and clarity. The true believer then understands that the gospel must be shared scripturally. You need to share Bible verses with people so they see these verses. And the verse does the work. The word of God produces fruit in the life of the unbeliever. No one is saved apart from the word of God. So let me say this. This means that sharing your testimony is insufficient to help someone come to saving faith in Christ. That can be a part of it, but that is not the the substance or the content. The content is this. God is holy, we are sinners, the punishment for sin is death, Christ has taken the punishment or died to to take the punishment for sin, there's a response of repentance and faith, and then there's a holy life according to the word that resembles saving faith. Each week we try to discuss that on Sunday mornings, Pastor Tanner shares that, because it's connected to everything else we do. So the gospel, we don't leave it at salvation. Christ is the reason why we're empowered by the Spirit to obey God. He is who we are obeying for. He is who we are hoping to meet one day in heaven. I mean, the gospel is the center of the Christian's life, but explicitly it brings about salvation. So here's what must be true. You must know the gospel. You must know the gospel. And then you trust in the sovereignty of God. The true church knows the gospel, shares the gospel, and then trusts in the sovereignty of God. 
right? So your job as a believer is just to do what? Share it. Scatter seed. So you don't have to take any more burden upon yourself than that. Mark 4 says this, and he said, the kingdom of God is like as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. That's God's work. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. There's discipleship that needs to occur after salvation, right? But we believe in the sovereignty of God in evangelism. And so listen, our evangelism is for true conversions. You don't need to fight to just get a response or manipulate to get a response. You want true conversions. That's the only thing that matters. You don't need to count numbers. So you're mainly not concerned with strategy. You're concerned with content. You're not concerned with winsomeness. You're concerned with accuracy. You're concerned with explicit content. And so listen now, this is mainly not driven. It's not driven by your desire even um, for people to have a better life, although that's a good thing. It's driven by your desire for God to be glorified as he should be. God's glory is to spread throughout all nations because he is the creator of everyone and he deserves all glory and honor and praise and you want to advance God's glory. There are people who are not under the reign and rule of the lordship of Jesus Christ and you want to change that. So let me say this before we move on to the next one. I told you this one would be short, but listen, let me tell you this. This is why it's so important that we know doctrine. Because you gotta know the doctrine of what the Bible says about God and his holiness, of what the Bible says about man and his sinfulness. Man is not inherently good. Romans 3 says, there is no one who seeks for God. So then you need to know the doctrines about sin and the doctrine of Christ the doctrine of repentance and faith and salvation and regeneration so that you can share it with clarity and accuracy. The church is the one that houses this information. And therefore, we are the ones who tell it to the world. This will require courage from the believer because you will face much opposition. So simple, ready? The true church, true believers in Christ are committed to the proclamation of the gospel to the lost world, to the neighbors and to the nations. Some of you will be deeply burdened that there are people who have zero access to the gospel. They don't have a friend who has a friend who has a friend who has a friend to tell them about Christ. And you will do everything in your power to get it to those people. Go, give, send. And along the way, you are reaching your neighbors. So this is what the true church cares about. And let me tell you, you gotta be people who care about this. You gotta ask yourself, when was the last time you shared the gospel with a lost person? And if it's been a long time, that's gotta change because a true believer shares the explicit gospel 
regularly because they understand the content. Number six, let's move on to the next one, is the necessity of love. And this is our final point. Now, we wanna just say this. The church must be the most loving place in the entire world. The most loving place in the whole world. The church must be the place in which you display the love of God. John 13 says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. The way in which you love each other. The way in which you accept each other and care for each other. The way in which you serve each other. But let me help redefine this a little bit. Because the church being the most loving place in the world is a church where there's a genuineness about it. Meaning this, it's a place where people recognize their own sin. It's it's a place where there's no, no fakeness going on. What you see is what you get. We don't have to be someone that you're not. You don't have to try to become something that you're not. It's just the most genuine place in all the world. What you see is what you get. It's a place of filled with people who recognize their own sin. We are people who have come to recognize that we are sinners and that we need a what? That is the church. And therefore, we are people who talk about sin a lot because we are people who recognize our need for Christ often. Therefore, the church is a place that's humble, that knows their need for a savior, that knows their need for continued progressive sanctification. And the church genuinely cares for one another. It's a place where people then confess their sins. They don't call sin something else or try to excuse it. You call your sin, sin. And then it's a place that forgives each other of their sins. And it's a place that understands its own weakness and it's humble enough to know that only God can save and only God can sanctify. Therefore, it humbly trusts God. Listen, you know, a church that proclaims the word of God is not a proud place. It's a humble place because it realizes that only God's words matter. And it doesn't have enough pride to protect itself and then therefore not proclaim God's word. It's a place of humility, but this is contrary to the world's definition of love. Listen now, humility, it obeys God. It doesn't protect self. It doesn't think better of itself. It, It knows better. It's not focused on selfish ambition. That's not love. That's self love, right? It considers what's best for others and what's best for the glory of God, and therefore it seeks truth. True love is genuine and not fake because it seeks truth. It's in, it, the ingenuine agenda to advance your own status is not love, right? So listen now, love tells the truth. Love wants true change. You sacrifice yourself and your reputation and being liked by people because you want the glory of God and you want true change in the life of other people. You understand? You with me? 
That's love. And listen now, so love wants the true best for people. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with what? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can I tell you, acceptance is not love. Acceptance the way people are in their sin is not love. That's the, what the world wants you to believe. People don't need the truth, they need acceptance. No, that's not true. They need the truth, which will lead to acceptance from God. We need to redefine love in a world that tells us what love is. The church has adopted the world's definition of love, which is the opposite. Telling someone God's truth for their good and the glory of God, that's love. To avoid that is not love. And so you need to, we need to come to terms with the fact it doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what somebody else feels. It matters what's right. It matters what's true. We want to help people come into that. That's love. So we have pastors. We have members who are, who are encouraging each other in the truth. They're available for one another. They're teaching each other in the word. They are helping people with their problems. And they're telling the truth to one another, not Spending the time on their own ego or telling people how great they are, that's not love. To just tell somebody, man, you're, you're great. You're a child of God when you don't know if they are or not. When you say they're, they're awesome, they're so, I mean, I know that seems very loving. The, the, listen, the liberal church always thinks it's the most loving place on the planet. They have redefined what love is. Love speaks the truth and wants true change for the glory of God and the good of others. And we wanna help people through that. Listen, it does no good to give that worldly type of love. So the love is, uh, the, the church is a place that's sanctifying itself. It's continually coming to a place of repentance. Think about Christ's love for a second. He didn't come down and say, everybody stay the way you are. He said, listen now, I'm coming because I love you, but I'm gonna tell you the what? The truth. And I, when you repent, trust in me, you will experience true freedom in life, right? And that's what we want to do. The church wants to be a place in which God's true love is heard and seen. And the commitment you have to each other and to Christ is displayed. So listen, ready? We, we've talked about this. We've talked about, well, and let me say this one more thing, okay? Before I, tra- before I move into this last part. Sometimes you have an environment in the church in which there's eclectic theological beliefs. I've talked to some about this, and it kind of feels the most loving, like we just won't stand on anything. Can't pin someone down on what they believe right? That's also not loving. The greatest thing you can do is stand on God's truth because or else it brings about confusion and at worst it brings about death. 
right? You don't want, the, the standing on the truth is loving. Being eclectic or skittish when it comes to the truth is not love. The truth needs to be center. The church is the most loving place in the world. And you will find yourself being made healthy by a people who genuinely care about you. That's what we want the church to be. Now, let's finish this out by pointing to what the Bible says about being connected. Those are our six things. We could talk, I mean, we could have a whole other series about this, right? But people who are, care, we are people who care about Christ's body, the saved church, the local assembly, that it's a biblical church. We care about being connected. We find our expectations in God's word. We've talked about six biblical characteristics of a biblical church. And now lastly, let's talk about being connected. And we're almost done, right? And, and we'll finish this out here. So being connected. We've talked about obedience of membership. So we won't, we won't move into that. I just wanna point out in this particular section the essential aspect of gathering, gathering. So the importance of being connected to the biblical church. Um, we've talked about membership. We're talking about just the aspect of gathering, okay? It's essential. The act of being committed to the local assembly is, is played out through the regular gathering with the local assembly. And this is crystal clear in the scriptures, okay? And so we have to understand that there is an accountability that comes with gathering. As these people come together on the first day of the week, that's clear, that that's when that happened in the scripture. And then also that these essential, um, this essential gathering is what actually, listen now, it's actually what makes up a church. First, the compound Greek word, which is used throughout the New Testament, which is translated ekklesia, it means a called out one's that are what? Gathered. So the very definition and essence of being a church is a people. You go from one believer by themselves to a church when there's multiple believers together. So to not gather is, the, is actually just counterintuitive to the idea of being a church. You understand? So it's a gathering of professing believers. And the other word in the New Testament that's used, anyone know? Koinonia, which means the fellowship. And that word is constantly used in the context of the church. So listen now. In other words, what makes a local church a church is that it does what? It gathers. Okay. Now, there's no ambiguity about this. It's very straightforward. The definitions of the terms, this is the picture. So here's what it was. On the first day of the week, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 16, Mark 16, Revelation 1, they were stimulating each other to love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24. They were speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, 19. They were under the apostles' teaching of the word, Acts 2. They are praying together, Acts 2. They're led by shepherds and teachers, Ephesians 4. They're giving together, Acts 2. They're participating in the ordinances, Acts 2. And they're worshiping. So listen now, there's heads, there's leadership like pastors, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13. And they're, submit, they're submitting and they're cared for. So with all that being said, the church doesn't even function without gathering. 
it's not even, it, it doesn't even function without gathering. It's just isolated believers. So unless people are using their spiritual gifts mutually to serve one another, all you have is a teacher showing up and, and that's it. It has to fulfill the one another's. So the church is a local assembly of believers functioning together. They sing, they pray, they hear corporately. It's a fellowship, listen now, of people whose lives, in addition to the gathering, we're almost done, so stay with me. In addition to the gathering, it's a people whose lives are profoundly, profoundly blended together. Listen, so in addition to you gathering, there's a people whose lives are profoundly blended together. You notice that? You notice as you get involved in the church, we say, wow, our lives are really blended with the other members of our church. And that's the picture here. So we have relationships. We're seeing each other's lives. Some people say, well, we can have church and not be gathered. You can't. You will not grow. You will not be biblical, but you won't grow. You won't be challenged by other people's lives. You won't have relationships that grow you. You won't be challenged by other people's faith. You'll be right in your own eyes. Right? You won't have spiritual insight and wisdom, accountability. You won't be deeply sanctified without regularly gathering. And so let me just encourage you. Get rid of the notion that you don't need to be consistent in your gathering with other believers. You must continue to be with the church who knows you, right? And if it's an unbiblical place, you need to get out of there. I don't have any um, sympathy for it. But you need to stay in a place that knows you. You can't be embarrassed about your bad seasons of life and then want to leave and reset that's why marriage works really well. Because guess what the rule is by God? You can't leave. So it sanctifies you really well, right? That's what the picture should be when you're in a biblical church. And then you don't try to reset your reputation. You just, you stay. Again, unless it's an unbiblical place. And then you gather and God uses his word to grow this church. Now, let me just say this as we close. That means this. Home church is not church. Video campus is not church. Videos, audios, service, uh, video services, resource platforms, all that can be, and depending on who it is, can be God-given to supplement spiritual growth. Okay? To supplement but they're only to be used as supplements to deepen and add to and repeat and teach further in addition to your regular gathering with your, with your local congregation. So during the period of COVID, God used that greatly, right? We saw that happen. If you had a vacation planned, maybe God will use that to, to again, to the online service to help you grow even further. But that's not to be considered your church. So two things on this. First, any church trying to promote online church as an alternate option so you can 
quote unquote, have people participate, you can count those numbers of people in attendance and membership, is a place that doesn't either care to know and at the very least doesn't know what the Bible says about the requirement of gathering for a church to be biblical. And so you wanna run from that place. Secondly, if you're a person who comes only in on Sunday morning um, and then leaves right after, you need to change that. Because the gathering doesn't just happen in one time, right? The gathering is constant. The believers are um, involved in each other's lives. And so some of us will come in, we'll receive, we'll go out, and we'll say what? See you next week. That's, that's never the way it was designed to work. So you need to be involved in the lives of others. And if you say, well, no one's involving their lives with me, I feel very isolated, then you need to take a really hard look at how much you're reaching out to others. Relationships are hard, but you need to also do your job. It's a two-way street. To reach out to others, to be involved in the life of the body, you don't need to be doing online church. You need to be gathered. And then you need to be not only seeing the other believers on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week. That's what it means to be involved in a local what? Church. That's what it means to be part of a local church. So that needs to, it's just unbiblical to even think that way. So, you don't want to be a transient congregant instead of a biblical member. And the biblical church gathers and functions together. And it's a place of love and it's a place of gospel proclamation. Let me leave you with this and we're done. Ready? Second Peter chapter 3, it says this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, meaning eternity, you're waiting for eternity. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found as a true believer, as part of his true church. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. That's true, right? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. But you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. That's why we're talking about the biblical characteristics of a biblical church. Don't be carried away. And lose stability, but grow in the grace and the what? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So church, tonight we just finish up very simply. A biblical church is a place that is committed to gospel proclamation. So you, church, should be committed to that. Secondly, that it's the most loving place in all the world. And then thirdly, that it must gather. And you must not neglect that gathering for a different version. 
And you must not only gather one time a week and then not be surrounded by other believers of that congregation in the rest of your life. So we're committed to those things and I pray that God would continue to make us into this church. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just ask you, Lord, to please make us into this church. I hope that throughout all of these teachings, you bring clarity for us. We love you and we thank you and we pray that you would make us this church, that you continue to reform in the areas that we need to reform, reform us in those ways. I pray that you'd give us spiritual discernment so that we're not created, uh, we're not um, tw- uh, uh, carried away by twisted teaching in this realm. And I pray, Lord, that that we would share these truths with other, other people so they're not deceived either. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.